live. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Holy Crap, the Vlogcast. A vlogcast that comes from a skeptical point of view to answer some of the questions of why. This vlogcast started as a combination of spite and the Streisand effect because people on Facebook, you really don't want to become my next favorite friend. You really don't. And yet you still do. Part of this is to follow through with the old adage, sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. I'm your main host. I'm known as Shujin Tribble all over the place. You can find me pretty much under all social media that way, S-H-U-J-I-N. Let me go ahead and introduce you to everybody because we've got some missing and we've got something for you for a change. Top left-hand corner of the bingo card known as North America. Good evening, Dallin. Good evening. Is north of me, north of the border, over into Ontario, Canada. Good morning, heretic woman. Good morning. In the Midwest of the U.S., good evening, Bridget. Good evening. And longtime watchers will know full well that I'm kind of missing a couple of people. Joey's still in the process of trying to figure out what the hell is going on with his headset. He can talk, but he can't hear us, which is all well and good if you're trying to converse with some of the people that we've dealt with before <laughs> www.gofundme.com slash get joey a new damn computer yeah there we go yes anything yeah we'll talk about that uh joseph uh, it is maybe asleep again which would not surprise me we've said it before you know five in the morning it's hard to get up for that and unreno tech i don't know we'll figure it out from there but <laughs> We have a guest. Yes. 200th episode. And we've got a guest. I have to get a fan for a sound effect for the audio of this. You go right ahead <laughs> that. So ready? Sound effect. One, two. That's perfect. That's enough. So to, to use an old expression, mystery guest, would you sign in, please? Okay. Um, I am uh, Dr. Richard, but everyone can call me Rich. I was hoping for kind of a fanfare there, um, but yeah. I'll fix it <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a uh, psychiatrist in full-time private practice in uh, on Long Island, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. Yeah, see, that's a that's a piece I did not know about you and me, man. We we are we're simpatical. Okay, so now now uh, you guys hold on. He's from Long one. Island too. Shut up. <laughs> okay, so so here's here's the big question. Queens and Brooklyn, part of Long Island or not? Geographically, but not politically. <laughs> Shit, that's the right answer. God damn it. I was waiting for some quip about splitting hairs or something like that. No, no, no. There, there's a long, long, long standing tradition of everyone from Long Island is Suffolk County and Nassau County. And screw New York City because Queens and Kings County can just piss right off. <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing. Um, I, I the province I live in geographically is well, let's face it, it's fucking huge. Yeah. Uh, but as far as rivalries go, we just limit it to cities. You guys are doing entire counties. Well, there's a there's a there's a thing about that. Well, no, look, look, I I get the New York attitude, okay? Like the, yeah. it's it's legendary. We even hear about it way out here in the north, eh? Yeah. So, <laughs> but but to actually to hear it live, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Cities now, nah, come on, man. We got counties going okay. after each other. Okay. Dallin, realistically, you know Ontario thinks it's better than everybody else. <laughs> you, you know this, right? Yeah, and you know what we've um 
you're you're just lucky we haven't gotten the right politicians in the right place. Although I got to tell you, uh, forty five down there has given us some ideas. Bill, yeah. come on around Ontario. Yeah, let's. The only <laughs> reason I'm telling you. A wacky ass looking wall. Let me tell you. Yeah. The, the uh, only reason yeah, why okay, I got two words for you there, uh, heretic woman. Yes. Rob Ford. Anything is possible. <laughs> He's dead. He's dead. Uh-huh. We, we don't have him anymore. Yes. And the only reason why Ontario, there, though? The, the only reason why Ontario is the way that it is, as far as to being the best, is because they have Rob Mercer, Rick Mercer. Shit. Rick Mercer. Rick Mercer. I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was simultaneously Aww. thinking I should say Rick Mercer, but I should also say Rick, Red Green, and it all just. Sorry. Oh, Mr. fail. Mr. But the yeah, thing is, if you if you, if you listen to to Rick Mercer's accent, I think he's from a little bit further east. He sounds like he's uh, from the Rock. I'm pretty sure he's a noof. <laughs> well, c- considering the the people he runs with, the the original 22 minutes crowd, they're was mostly actually all noofs. Yeah, 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 but but not only that, but it was a um, they were a, another incarnation of an old show called Codco. Oh, and they were right. all newfies. Yes, <laughs> that's where a lot of them came from. Absolutely. Oh, and um, uh, Rich, just so you know, um, yes. people from Newfoundland, uh, here in Canada, uh, they're kind of like what you would consider uh, youpers from um, Michigan or um. Anybody from the bayou? Or basically or when you hear them when they open their West. mouth, you have absolutely no freaking idea what they're saying. Yes, yes. All right. They yeah. they definitely have their own language. I, yeah. I spent a week there this past fall for the first time. And yeah, there was there's a few times I was just like, huh? Uh-huh. Can, can, what? Can you say that in 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 Ontario speak? Yeah. And <laughs> like and out there when you um when they check the blood alcohol level, the machine goes, bye, you kidding? Yeah. yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's kind of like trying to talk to the guys from Yonkers. That's, that's what it comes down to. to uh, you know okay. Again, you know, I'm only going off of what I know, and yeah. I didn't know that. It's okay. Now, Mike, in all uh, fairness, uh, I did want to add that uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, so I spent uh, quite a number of years there. And that's all right. The funny, I, thing, yeah, the funny thing is that when I was growing up in Brooklyn, Brooklyn was the place everybody wanted to get out of. You had to get out of Brooklyn. And now everybody wants to move into Brooklyn to the point where no one can afford to live there anymore. So, by the way, Dallin, I have just confirmed yes, Rick Mercer was born in St. John's. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yep. All right. Move to the so, core. Well, just look, 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 the way he says party, it's parody. Yeah. Uh, like, party. Right, right there. Like, Par- yeah. <laughs> party. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it so, could be a Cape Bretoner, but mostly. New. Yeah, no, not not with that sense of humor. Yeah. So let me let me let me go ahead and get us rolling over here because man, it's 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 going to be one of those nights. Yeah. Uh, so that everybody is aware, this is the end of my coffee for tonight. Why? <laughs> because I have two bottles that I'm going to Uh-oh. kill tonight. This is going Uh-oh. to end up being a drunk cast episode if ever there was one. Because <laughs> why the hell not? <laughs> so perhaps I should go get vodka from cabinet and just nah, it's, it's a little bit too late for that. <laughs> anyway I will I will be opening this one shortly I've got the other one out on the uh, front porch keeping cold because it's right there but uh, yeah as a reminder 
for those of you that are tuning in or may not have noticed, yes, this is a 200th episode. And as you know full well, every 10th episode is a power of 10. There will be no filters whatsoever. And being that this is a power of 100 episode, oh, sweet baby Jesus, you're in for it tonight. <laughs> because you there's know, been way I'm, too much. I'm just going to say it. I don't know if this is a great idea to have a psychiatrist on tonight. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No, I don't know. Um, Actually, it might it might help uh, it might help us sort a few things else so that you know by hey, by episode two ten we might all be finally well adjusted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. right. Who, who am I kidding? Well, to, yeah, then we don't have a show anymore. Come on. Yeah, fair <laughs> point. And uh, just just to put it out there on the official, I don't consider this particular episode to be an especially monumental item. When we hit two hundred eight, however. That will be four years worth of weekly shows. Mm. And that's the one that I'm really wow. looking forward to. And I'm going to see about getting whoever the hell we can, because four years is, that's a pretty important part to me. Well, beans. So let me, um, let me go ahead and do this. Can Joey hear us? I don't know. We will, we will see. Anyway. Doesn't sound like it. Fair, um, fair warning. I'm going to be talking on my opening about some very, very uncomfortable items. Those of you that have any kind of medical understanding, chemistry understanding, are very likely going to end up having a very hard time with this one. Hmm. Trust me when I say that the fact that I even considered what I'm about to talk through chilling for my own damn self. And you guys know full well, I try really, really hard to be a pro at this. With five minutes on the clock, your five minutes starts right now. And I decided that I was going to label this one. Guns do kill people. We've heard the rhetoric the mantra over and over and over and over and over ad nauseum until it's coming out every pore of our fiber because it's getting crammed into our ears. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Bullshit. I'm calling absolute fucking bullshit for a change. You guys know for well, I don't get riled up on these things, but this is one of those fucking times where I'm going to. And I did give you fair warning. I did give you fair warning. That this is going to be a not safe for work show. And we had, and I can't believe I have to say it, a another school shooting in my country. The fact that I, uh, that I, I, I can say Another one. I can't tell you. Seriously, I, I I can't tell you as a parent how absolutely livid I am. I, I simply cannot. The mantra has been, guns don't kill people, people kill people. There is some truth to this, yes. But... If you're going to go with the whole, it's a tool argument, well, then 
what is the purpose of a tool? A tool is a machine designed to make a particular task more efficient. A screwdriver is used for getting two different things held together. A washer is a tool because it prevents these things that are being held together with pressure from fracturing wood in particular. You ever put a deck together? You need to have those. Otherwise, you're going to break the wood and, you know, structural goes out the window. If a firearm is a tool, what is its purpose? Its primary purpose is to take a piece of metal and throw it with incredible velocity and, in some cases, pinpoint accuracy into another location. And sometimes that location is through a living anything. That's its purpose. There is no other use for guns. That's what they do. Now, this shooting in Florida, if it was about just killing, there are far and away more simple ways of accomplishing this with far less of a paper trail. Go to Bed Bath & Beyond. For 50 bucks, you can get a really nice 8-inch carving knife or chef's knife. Really big one, too, that's not going to snap. Or go to Dollar General and get stick knives that are serrated. And, you know, you can get five of those suckers. You could throw a couple of them and still have two, one for each hand. You could do what happened in Chicago. And you can put together a homemade chlorine gas. Let's not call it a bomb for a moment, okay? Yes, you could aerosolize it, and you could make it into a World War I death trap if you were able to figure a way of doing that. But those of us remember two or three years ago, Chicago, a convention, and people got sent to the hospital because somebody made a very simple, crappy chlorine bomb. Do you know what chlorine does to people in the proper concentration in the air? You literally suffocate because your lungs fill with the dissolved innards of itself. I'm sorry, that's a horrible way to die. But if you had the time and the effort to put enough of these on the third story into the stairwell, you could do a lot of damage to a lot of people. You could get knives and slash people left, right, and center, and there'd never be a paper trail. You could get a glass bottle 
a pint of gasoline and a rag. And you could firebomb the shit out of the place. But no, it's not about killing people. It's about fear. It's about intimidation. It's about the visceral result of someone who thinks that they've been wronged and they're going to use fear and intimidation and they're going to make a statement. Why use a gun? Because it's the ultimate meat world cheat code. You can stand as far away as you want from everybody and you've got God mode on your side because ain't nobody getting up close to you. Everybody wants to get the hell away. How many was it? How many was it? It's Florida. You're looking at this from uh, from the future? You notice that I've gone over my time? This one is a little bit more important than that. Do you remember how many it was? It was 17. 17 children. Do you remember what happened in Australia in 1996? They decided it's too many. It's too much. It's too high. It's too high a price. And they said, regulate the shit out of it all, buy them back, get them off the streets. Since 1996, Australia has had less than a dozen shootings in public, mass shootings. Public. Do you know how many my country has had since the turn of the century? 212 school shootings. My child's life is worth more than your precious upon the side of a building gilded gun. My child's school should not become a bunker. No child's school should become a bunker. Guns don't kill people. You're right. They don't. But take them out of the equation and what have you got? Somebody wants to go ahead and do something wrong. They're going to have to play with the 50-50 odd where it's a level playing field. And I guarantee you, somebody who wants to go ahead and try to play at those rules is going to think twice about it to begin with. Is it the only answer? No. Is it the best answer? I don't know. But I got a bunch of friends in Australia who would definitely tell you, works, mate. I got hundreds of thousands of school children who'll tell you works mate. This is episode 200 part a on the docket, your honor breaking barriers. Now we, uh, we are going to be talking with the good doctor and, and I 
sincerely hope that I've not completely uh, scared you off. This is um, not my usual, not by a long shot, but um, as a, as a, as a father, um, I, I think you can probably full well appreciate that uh, I have some very strong feelings on this one. We're going to be talking with the good doctor about, well, partly the medical industry, partly to do with uh, insurance, and a little bit to do with, well, his areas of expertise, which is probably going to be very, very informative to a lot of us. Heretic Woman, before we go ahead and uh, jump into, I unfortunately did not get the opportunity of checking the news this week. Uh, did you have anything new? I have not heard a thing. So. So, yeah. Uh, as as we've said, you know, news about Reef Badawi is going to be uh, incredibly scarce for a while. And uh, the stuff that we have seen the last couple of months has just been copy and pasted from the previous months. So as of the recording of tonight's show, this is now... Five years, eight months, three days since Reef Badawi was unjustly incarcerated for thought crime. Our hopes and our thoughts are still with you and your family. We're open for you. So, Rich, um, doctor, is 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 it's 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 okay that I don't call you Doctor Dick, right? I mean, I, I I bet that that joke's probably a couple of decades old, at least. Yeah, <laughs> it's the first time I've heard it, it today, though. Yeah. Uh, oh, apparently well, there not, we go. Apparently, he's not getting a nickel for each of them because he's still practicing and hasn't retired yet. Yeah, considering yeah. it's 1230 in the morning. That's that's great. And I guarantee you, it will be the only time you will hear this one today. At least from us. I uh, can't say. Well, the alcohol might end up talking, but that's a whole other thing. Would you be so kind to uh, basically give us a, a, a quick rundown on uh, the stuff that you you have as far as to your your where you went to school, what you've got under your belt, and um, CV, I believe they call it. CV. Okay, sure. Uh, real there quick. You go. Okay, so um, grew up in New York area, as I already said. Uh, did my undergraduate work at Columbia University. Uh, then went to medical school at what is known as Downstate Medical, which is part of the state university system, and that's in Brooklyn. And uh, then did my psychiatric training at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital in Upper Manhattan. And uh, basically, I've been doing the, the, the private practice thing ever since with a, a brief stint running a, a day hospital. So. Congratulations for you. Um, uh, if I'm, I'm not trying to peg you because of an age or anything, but uh, how long have you been? Uh, well, I mean, let me actually, let me, let me word it this way first. Mm -hmm. How many years of college level uh, schooling have you gone through in order to get to where you are today? Well, that would be, I guess, 12 years because it's four years undergraduate, four years in medical school, and then the psychiatric residency where you're working, but also still training is another four years. Okay. Sorry. I wanted to make sure that uh, we've got at least some, some basis because let's face it. We on this panel are 
well, we're lay people. We don't know jack shit about a lot of this stuff. And we know, we know full well that that's the case. So somebody that's got the, the, the level of information that you would, and you would have want to be able to understand how little we actually do know and, and the level of ignorance that we're going to have on some. So again, thank you for, you know, thank you for sharing everything that you've got. So, um, one of the reasons why uh, we wanted to have the chance to talk with you and uh, and Bridget had kind of brought over to me was the um, one of the news stories that had kind of broken recently also uh, in the uh, in the insurance industry, if we can if we should even really call it that, uh, specifically uh, Aetna and the way that they have done, trying to figure out who gets paid and who doesn't and under what qualifications and such. Uh, I worked, my first job was working at uh, a local pharmacy back in the late eighties, early nineties. And I remember seeing mountains of paperwork that were generated and sent off to a dozen different insurance companies at the time Mm -hmm. and several tens of thousands per company that were waiting to be paid on for six, eight months at a clip. Um, what, um, well, uh, first off, I assume that you did see the story about, uh, about Aetna and, and the stuff that had been going on for them. Yeah, I actually didn't read it in depth. Um, I did see that, um, you know, one, one part of it was, uh, concerning, uh, uh, a physician who works for them and was supposed to be, you know, uh, making decisions and was actually just signing off on, um, paperwork that, uh, he had not actually looked at and he had not reviewed the cases himself. And I think that, you know, Edna is a big company, so this makes a lot of splash, but I think this is a pretty typical story. I think you would find probably very similar things going on in other insurers and across the industry, actually. And in, in some ways, I think that that's probably uh, one of the things that concerns uh, a lot of folks that if we hear a story like this, that there's good reason to believe that this is, if not necessarily endemic, but a little bit more typical than we would really like to believe. Um, do you have any kind of, uh, in, well, uh, see, I don't want to, I don't want to ask, the, I don't want to ask the question the wrong way and, and lead you down the wrong, the, the wrong pathway. But uh, you, would you think that that would be something that we should concern over first off? Or if 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 that's something that you've seen one way or another that maybe maybe not all groups are quite so poorly behaved. Well, I mean, you know, the, the uh, medical insurance industry exists to deny payment. That's how they make their profits, basically, and so they will throw as many roadblocks in, in the way of uh, accessing care as they possibly can. Uh, now, I don't work with a lot of private insurance companies directly, um, but I still run into their policies all the time when it comes to prescribing medications right. because they only want to pay for the cheapest. And um, that doesn't only mean generics. It used to be you could prescribe any generic and that was cheap enough. But now they select only the cheapest generic in a particular class of medications. And that's what you're allowed to prescribe. So it doesn't matter that the patient has been on a different medication that costs pennies more and has been doing well for five years. They're going to tell you, well, we're not going to pay for that anymore because we want you to prescribe this other drug that's a little bit cheaper. 
And then you have the choice of either giving in or saying, I'm going to fight you. But if you fight them, then you have to fill out a bunch of paperwork and you have to wait for them to make a decision. And it's time consuming. And you're trying to, to treat patients and do this for every patient that you're seeing. And most mm-hmm. physicians' offices just give up, and they say, "We, you know, we don't have the time to fight them on every single drug. It's, it's just not worth it." Um, so, qu- so, question, yeah, question from somebody with a, um, I've got an echo from somewhere. Oh, there we go. Uh, from somebody who has a completely different medical system, uh, do these uh, people making decisions in the insurance industry have any actual medical training to have an idea of the impact that those decisions are making? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, in most cases, <laughs> in most cases, they are uh, not medical people. They're clerks, and they're working. They're working off their computer that says, right. "These are the medications that you're allowed to take." Um, and even when you send in an appeal, you know, um, for a denial, they're still going to. It's a checklist, and they're still going to look at, "Oh, did you did you meet this criteria?" No. Well, then we can't approve it. The only time you get to speak to someone who's clinical is when you ask for what's called a peer-to-peer review. Right. And they will then let you speak, not usually with a physician. Uh, they'll usually have you speaking with a nurse practitioner or someone like that. Right. And right. in every case where I've been able to arrange a peer-to-peer review and I plead my case, they say, oh, you're absolutely right. That patient should have that drug. But you have to yeah, jump over 100 hurdles to get to that point. Oh. <laughs> They, yeah, they are lucky that I am not an, an American doctor because I would be their worst nightmare. I am this I, like I have zero medical training, but I am the stubborn kind of person that I probably would fight them every time just because I would enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. I do tend to I do tend to fight and I do tend to, to file a lot of appeals because I don't like being told Good. with all the training yeah. that I described to before that I can't do what I'm well, trained to yeah. do. Yeah. You, you went to school for, uh, you know, well over a decade only to be told by some pencil pusher how to do your job. Like mm-hmm. that's amazing to me. That, that kind of yeah. reminds me what the surgeon said uh, to me during my little stint. Of the, um, just so you know, I was in the hospital for a couple of months last year Um I went in for what was supposed to be a routine surgery and ended up with a bacterial infection and was basically stuck in a bed for two months. And uh, one of the roadblocks for me to get out of there was a particular drug that I had to have because the cheaper alternative actually was doing more damage to my kidneys than was actually solving my problem. And my insurance company, like I got a pretty good job. My insurance company is good, but this one I had to get a special exception for. And And just, just... Oh, he may not. He may not realize, though. In Canada, our our medical stuff is taken care of, but medications generally are not, unless you're in the hospital. Yeah. So <clears throat> he could get he could get the drug freely while he was in the hospital, but if he wanted to leave, then it would have been his employer that had the insurance coverage to take care of that outside of the hospital. And yeah. that's who he was. And that, that particular drug uh, outside of any care or outside of any insurance was close to $4,000 a week. And I was supposed okay. to be on it until this infection was cleared up. It was, it was a high grade antibiotic. Um, but I kept getting stonewalled by the insurance company who didn't want to either talk to me or anything until the surgeon got in and yeah. said, give me their number. I handed him all the information. I said, what are you going to do? 
is I'm going to tell them that unless they approve this within the next 24 hours, we're going to start direct billing them for everything you're doing at the hospital here. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Like they, they, they were <laughs> like, I was basically cleared by the surgeons. I was cleared by infectious diseases. Like I was at the point where I could go home and manage it. Uh, another group called, um, I don't remember what it stands for, but HPTP, they're the ones that handle the outpatient services. Um, I had a special IV line installed. I, I, I was ready to go <clears throat> just waiting on this thing. And yeah, when that surgeon finally, uh, called them, they said, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have this done. And, uh, I talked to them, we got verbal approval, everything like that. Everything was good. And then they sent the official forms through regular mail. Uh. I live alone. Who the hell is going to pick up my goddamn mail? You don't even have my a cat to go get it. <laughs> my landlord was out of the goddamn country during the time. Oh shit! It's like basically, I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, are you fucking insane? Like, yeah. Th th that's of course I was a little more restrained. Uh, you know, props to the medication <laughs> that kept me sedated. Yeah, it was, it was a power uh, ten episode for you at that point. Yeah, I think I had yeah. about three, I had about three or four mental breakdowns just waiting for this damn insurance company. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting time, and I I am well, I was sort of tangentially involved in a couple of insurance uh, problems down in the states. And, uh, that was the first time I ever heard the term patient advocate. Mm. That scares the living hell out of me that you have to deal with that down there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what? That's probably a good item for, remember I was telling you off the air about the, the, the rabbit holes every once in a while. This is probably one of those good <laughs> ones to hit. Yeah. We well, Amtrak on a regular basis. Well, it, it depends. This is, this is a good one, actually. Um, would you be so kind to, uh, explain what a patient advocate is and uh, what um wh why we would have one on on this side of the border mm -hmm. well um a patient advocate is is someone who sort of helps you navigate the um the healthcare system you know if you are hospitalized let's say and um you know you need help getting uh, approval for a procedure or for medication that you're going to need as part of the recovery, as you were just saying, um, if you don't have family members who are going to, you know, be on the phone eight hours a day fighting for you, you need a patient advocate. Uh, and sometimes the hospitals will actually assist in, you know, helping assign one to you because they want to get paid after all. So that's kind of where the patient advocate comes in. So a patient advocate is a good thing for the patient. Mm. now um no go ahead it's the sort of thing though that someone would have to be aware of existing and ask for or is that something that when you are say in the hospital or needing acute care that they would give you a pamphlet and say oh and here's this patient advocate thing in case you think you need one or i think it's more like the second where the, the hospital will kind of slip that in with the, the three thousand other papers you get saying ah. you know <laughs> it's how to access the patient advocate program yeah okay yeah and it if a lot of this is really going to depend on the level of excuse me um 
I was I was going to say the level of care, but that's not quite the right uh, the right terminology for it. Uh, the right level of personal attention is probably mm. the best way that I can think to uh, to describe this one. When my wife and I were dealing with the guys over here in Buffalo at uh, Roswell Park Cancer Institute, um, the staff that we dealt with were they were amazing. They were gracious. They were understanding. They took the time to make sure that if we had a question, they went through it. And it wasn't always fun, but it was very much, we never felt like we were just being pushed towards something. It was always, we understand this is a big thing. You're going to have a hard time trying to cope with all this. We will help you each step of the way. Ask if something doesn't make any sense straight away. And I have to imagine that that's, that's something that really comes down to the, the end the individual hospital or the individual section of any medical group as to how well they're, they're going to help you with something like that. Uh, you, you said that you spent some time over at, uh, over at Mount Sinai, uh, I have to imagine that what Sinai would look like has got to be uh, different from everybody else because, I mean, you know, every place has got its own personality. But he, I, I would have to imagine that in the, you know, decade plus, you had to have seen some good, some really maybe not so good. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Sinai is a, a big, high power hospital. Um, they're probably they're probably even bigger since uh, I did my training there, and uh, you know any, any large organization is going to have its failings. Um, I think for the most part, though, they they you know the large academically uh, affiliated medical centers tend to do good work, tend to to, to care about doing you know uh, good for their patients, um, but you know things happen. It, it's uh, uh, as I said, it's 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 a big complex organization, so so occasionally there's going to be a, a glitch here and there. Um, but in, in general, I think they're you know they're doing as as well as they can with the resources that they have. Uh, Bridget, uh, I I know full well that um, you know this this is also in your wheelhouse too, so you know full well. Just please, by all means, just jump any opportunity because I know that you've got information that and and probably lines of questioning to to help this along that i'm not gonna have jack squat on well uh the reason that i asked dr rich on was a couple of weeks ago on facebook he had posted you know something about having a hard time with insurance approving medications for some of his patients that you know, he had done certain things to get it authorized for one person and then have another patient with the same insurance have it denied because they wanted a cheaper version or what have you. Yeah. And he was very frustrated that he has all of these years of, you know, going to school, clinical, setting up a private practice and all that to be dictated to how he was going to practice medicine. Mm-hmm. And. You know, I have run into the same type of thing where I work with insurance companies determining 
what's medically necessary and what's not. And flooring me with certain things like, um, you know, this um, image guided radiation therapy is medically necessary for, you know, type one and type two lung cancers, but not type three because that's, you know, you're probably not curative. They'll pay for it at type four because it's palliative care. But, you know, I had a patient with type three that they decided it was not medically necessary. And I'm like, how Mm. can you even do that? And the thing about it that upset me was that the nurse had called ahead of time to get it pre-certified through the insurance company. And they told her that no pre-certification was necessary. So they proceeded with treatment only to be told that, you know, (gasps) we're not going to pay it. Oh, no. And that happens all the time. That's horrible. Yeah. And and so, you know, I spend my day on the phone with them and filing appeals and all that to try to prove that, yes, it was medically necessary for, you know, whatever reason. And then to see that article about Aetna having a medical medical director it's never even seen a single medical record and he's making determinations on medical necessity i just i cannot fathom how anyone would think that financial information is a way to make any medical decision for anyone at any time i just i i cannot comprehend that and putting someone in power who has absolutely no experience in that field, gee, where have we seen that in the past year? I wonder. Oh, fuck. <laughs> See, the the thing of it is, and and you know, like I said, the place that I first worked at, and I have come, I've said this many many a time. The first place that I worked as a kid was a locally owned, two guys owned it, local pharmacy. Best guys I've ever worked for. Seriously, no lie. Best people. And. It was not a huge place, but yet tens of thousands of dollars, twenty, thirty thousand dollars at a clip. And reminding you, this was late eighties. You know, it, 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 it adds up because you get nickel and dimed. You really do. Because with any, You know how I've said on on several occasions the the big difference between the the horizontal line between Canada and the U.S. is the the mirror where it's me versus we. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what it is. Right. Insurance is we will make money and pay out as little as possible in order to continue to make that money. Medical insurance, as as the good doctor has told us, ain't no different. I have to imagine that that has got to be absolutely e- eternally frustrating for you. I mean, how many how many groups do you deal with that you've got to be, you know, constantly, you know, tooth and nailing every once in a while and saying, look, uh, it says right here and you're supposed to be following your own damn rules. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, that's that's pretty accurate. As I said, it mostly it, it occurs with medication, but uh one of the things that the uh, that the insurance companies like to throw at you is FDA guidelines, because especially in psychiatry, we're, we're very often forced to do what's called off-label prescribing, which is prescribing mm-hmm. a drug for something that the FDA has not specifically approved it for. 
And what the insurance companies will do if you can't demonstrate that you're using the drug for an FDA-approved indication is they will say, this is experimental use. We can't underwrite experimental oh. use. So, My God. Wow. What, what, These guys are turn, doing more mental gymnastics than most apologists I've heard. <laughs> but what they, turn, what they turn around and do to you then is if you want to prescribe a drug that may be the only drug that has that indication and it happens to be expensive, is they'll start to suggest other drugs in that family that are not indicated for that use and say, well, we want you to try right. this first. We want you to try that first. So I've learned to try uh -huh. to, to play their game. And I'll say, oh, I can't use that because it's not indicated for that. This is an experimental use. And then, then oh, they can say at that point. You, you know, you've kind of you kind of vested them at their own game. But you have to learn how they think. And, and actually, mm -hmm. what Bridget was referring to earlier was this incident that I had posted about where I had a patient that I wanted to get a particular medication, and the insurance company said, Oh, we want to give you this, uh, we want you to give this other drug instead. Um, and it was a reasonable alternative, but it wasn't my first choice. So I said, all right, well, we'll try that. And then the same thing came up with another patient. And I said, oh, okay, so I'm going to outsmart them. And I'm going to give this alternate drug that the other company wanted. But the second company didn't pay for that drug either. So I had to then pick oh, a third drug. <laughs> and we it's go almost as if. It's almost as if they they have a, a, a need to deny somebody the first time. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's like they just assume that whatever the doctor wants is going to be more expensive. So we should just deny it the first time and make them go find something cheaper, like without even looking at because they don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they're doing. It just I, and, and sorry to monopolize, but I had one question um, that that I've always wondered why do insurance companies balk at something that's considered to be experimental? Because it gives them an excuse to not pay for it, basically. That's mm -hmm. really what I'm like, it. I'm like, anything that has a possible positive outcome, you know, sh I don't understand why anybody would say, no, you can't do that, or no, we don't want to pay for it. I just, I never understood that. So there's no... They've never proffered a, a logical reason for that. It's just, well, we we just don't want to pay for we that. We don't pay for experimental treatment, period. Mm -hmm. That's With it. no reasoning behind it at all. Okay. Well, I, I can – yeah, Bridget, you go ahead because I, I, got, I got something too. I was going to say in most medical policies, that is a specific exclusion. Mm -hmm. That anything mm -hmm. that's uh, experimental or investigational is not covered. Yeah, I just – I don't understand why that would be. I well, just – let me, because, let me, because insurance companies exist to make as much profit for their shareholders as they possibly can. Well, okay, from, from that perspective, yes. But I mean, from a medical perspective, and I know that's stretching it to to want to have that, but... It's, it's <laughs> not about medicine. It is about profits. And that's one of the biggest problems that I have with the PPACA uh, is that there was not really much of a restriction put on the insurance companies. Um, they were told mm -hmm. at first that 85% of the premiums that were paid in had to be used directly for care uh, so they could keep 15% for administration. But that has been abused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me... Um uh, by the way, all of you guys over there in the, uh, uh, in, in the live chat, I am watching, I am reading, and uh, I'm sorry I didn't get to you guys early because 
little screwed up in the head, you can probably well imagine. And uh, for those of you that are wondering, yeah, I'm about halfway through the first uh, first <laughs> bottle, so. <laughs> you know the um, I don't know if you guys have all seen the the movie The Incredibles. Yeah, sure. No, but I know. Okay, there is a scene where um, Mr. Incredible, as his <clears throat> civilian identity, he's working for an insurance company. And there's this big spiel between, or that his boss lets him know about how insurance companies work. And what really got me, like just listening tonight, uh, a lot of people, a lot of you guys here tonight are actually echoing what was said in that movie, which at the time I thought was just an overdone joke, which was made worse by the fact that the guy who voiced the boss of the insurance company was also the grand Nagus from star Trek DS nine, the, the whole greed thing, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, inconceivable <laughs> that guy, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but well, it's Sean. Uh, yeah, just uh, my, my jaw's hitting the floor here a- again. I'm, I'm coming at this from an outsider's perspective, uh, being North of the border. I mean, we have our fights with insurance too. Mm-hmm. And, I'll admit, I think I ta- I've taken a lot of things for granted from the insurance scale or from the insurance side because nine times out of 10, I've been gainfully employed with a company that has some kind of health plan. And thankfully, the place I work for right now has an incredible health plan, which, yes, I do pay for. You know, that that, that comes out of the paycheck every month. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit goes to the yeah. insurance. that That's part of the administrative overhead of the company. Um we also pay monthly for a provincial healthcare, or at least we did. Um, back when oil was actually worth more than a case of beer. <clears throat> <laughs> I have photographic evidence of that one. Um, when, yeah, when the oil revenues were coming in and Alberta was living pretty fat, um, the government said, you know what? We'll take care of your provincial healthcare. So we have the card. We just no longer have to pay for the privilege of holding that card. And that card gets me into clinics. It gets me to see a doctor whenever I need to. Um, it gets me some baseline stuff, you know, so that if, if I do end up hurt, at least I can get some treatment. Um, but things like a uh, semi-private room at a hospital, uh, a prescription drug plan, all of that is because of my employer's health care. You know, and I could go out and get my own and say, you know what? I don't need my company's healthcare. I can, I can have my own. Yes. But that just, and actually that, that used to be, uh, the company used to not have their own insurance, but you go get your own plan, submit your, your statement every month and you will get reimbursed by the company. So in effect, they do pay for it. You just go get your own tailored plan. Which kind of sucked for me at the time because I had, uh, I've had a bit of a bout with high blood pressure. I mean, I'm a big guy. Um, and as soon as Blue Cross saw that, they went, yeah, yeah premium care. Yeah, we don't know just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given all the BS I've had to put up with recently, I'm kind of glad I don't have to go <laughs> find my own insurance right now. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure they take one look at me and go, yeah, you know what? Here's your insurance. Here's your insurance plan. This is a gun. At the first sign of a cough, point to head and pull trigger. Yeah, and see, I, and, and, and we city, went but... the other way. In Ontario, we used to have it covered, 
And I think it was seven or eight years ago they they came and said, "No, we need to take a premium off you." No, it wasn't I'm, very it wasn't very much, but yeah, I'm I'm waiting for that reversal just because. Well, like I said, uh, oil is no is not as much the cash crop as it used to be. Um, <laughs> I still have the picture. I'll, I'll have to find it one of these days. Uh, this was a billboard outside of a liquor store. Uh, you guys get a kick out of this. Uh, it was for a f- a 24-pack of Budweiser, which was worth, uh, I think they said the price was $38.75. And on the thing it said, so a uh, case of beer, $38 or one barrel of oil. <laughs> because the barrel of oil was actually not that much more or more much less. Like um, Now, yeah. it, it's gone up a little bit now, but I mean, it's nowhere near where it was. Um you know, during the so-called heyday and, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people, the energy sector here, I mean, we had a huge boom, uh, then that price drop hit and a lot of people here are still reeling, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, a lot of people were making 70, 80, 90 grand a year, but unfortunately they were spending it like they were going to have that job for the next 50 years. Mm. Not smart. Yeah, I'm going to backtrack us just a little bit uh, to uh, uh, a piece about um, insurance not covering uh, experimentals, because for a lot of people, there's there's probably this big question mark of, well, why? And I'm sure that there are a couple of people who are just like, well, yeah. So let me let me recant, uh, re- recap this one. When my wife was diagnosed at the time. Uh, it was something that, uh, Roswell Park specifically was able to identify as something called angiosarcoma. For those of you that understand angio is blood and it was basically, it was basically a, a, a mass that was forming new connections all over itself in order to keep grabbing for new blood to feed itself so that it could keep growing so it could make new, but you get the idea kind of goes up mm-hmm. that way. Now, this was something that would not normally respond correctly to traditional treatments and didn't. However, the doctor that was working with her, who I call him by his first name, because to me, Calling him doctor to me kind of demeans how much he means to me. So you understand. He was someone who had a PhD MD. He was somebody who I felt very comfortable with and knew for well, had a lot of smarts. And they basically investigated her cancer at a molecular level, literally. And they were going to try out because she was unfortunately getting later and later with the way that this was an experimental. They got her in for something, a drug in particular called Avastin mm-hmm. uh, of over the years. Avastin has kind of waned in its name and, and grown in its name for various different things off and on for various different cancers. But at the time, this was a brand new area something that it took me a long time to try to pronounce anti-angiogenesis. The idea is you specifically block 
the cancer's ability to create new tubules that it can receive food through. You starve the cancer. In the lab, in a Petri dish, it worked perfectly. In her, it worked, but unfortunately, too well, and shrank stuff the same way that you would shrink a cork in a rack of wine bottles. You can see where that analogy goes. Mm-hmm. Now, how does this play into the whole, well, we're not going to pay for experimentals? Simple. Experimental treatments are supposed to be done in experimental form, meaning they should be their own funded group. And why should the insurance companies be fronting money for a research hospital for their work or for any research group that they're not actually funding? When all is said and done, that's pretty much what it comes down to. That sound about the right way of kind of thinking about it, Doc? Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Um, You know, most organized research is really done based on grants, Um, you know, and and setting up a study and getting a grant to do the study, or it's done for commercial reasons. A a, a pharmaceutical company has a new compound they think is, is, uh, you know, going to be the the next miraculous cure. Um, So first they test it on animals to show that it's not going to kill everybody. And then uh, they get an approval to go ahead and and start uh, doing human trials. And uh, so they're going to fund that. And that's going to cost, you know, millions and millions of dollars to to do all those trials. So that's usually where that comes from. And several years. And 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 a number of years. years. From the time that a new compound is, is discovered and thought to have some clinical usefulness to the time that it makes it to market is usually 10 years, at least, at a minimum. Um, if it works, right. But what's being labeled, if it works, yes. And most, and most, you know, the vast majority of new compounds that are thought to have some kind of clinical potential are never going to get FDA approval. They're just not going to get that far. Um, or they get approved, and then somebody has an allergic reaction and dies, and the FDA pulls it off the market, and that happens. Mm. So, but um, what's being referred here to here as experimental use, so the insurance companies using that term, in, at least in my experience, is really for things that are in standard practice. They just have the FDA just haven't hasn't caught up with that yet. Um, and sometimes they will actually say, well, if you can give us three clinical papers demonstrating the usefulness of this drug, even though it doesn't have an FDA approval, we'll consider it. But again, this is very time-consuming, and busy clinicians don't have the time to start researching, you know, clinical journals looking for papers to support what really is standard practice already. And that's what no, we're up. I have to do that myself. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. And it's you know, and it depends on who looks at that as to whether they're going to approve it or not. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of times it seems like their whole spiel is to delay delay and deny mm-hmm. yep. and um the only way that i've gotten some things paid that i've been fighting for since well i mean some things going back to 2015 is to appeal it show studies of it send hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents and then have a peer-to-peer review you know with the 
performing doctor and their medical director. But it's even hard to get a peer-to-peer review because a lot of times you ask for one and they say, that's not an option. And it's like, why is that not an option? Um, it just, it, it is so hard to get reimbursement. And the thing that really bothers me, especially working in oncology, is the reimbursement is between 10 and 12% of bill charges if you even get them paid. Mm. You know, that, this is something I, I was just thinking. And, and doctor, I, I really, if, Forgive me. I, I ask you in. I ask you as doctor because in this particular case, I. It'll make sense if, as the expression goes, in your opinion, as a professional, if money were no option, would you do anything different for the people that you end up treating? I can answer that very easily. Uh, I would be using more of the newer drugs that have come out in the last couple of years, which I think not, it doesn't necessarily mean that new is always better. Sometimes that's not the case, but some of the newer drugs do offer some advantages, but I can't automatically jump to that because the insurance company is going to say, well, you haven't tried the cheaper generics first. So I definitely would be using more of the newer drugs um, and not just because, you know, it's the shiny new thing on the block, you know, but because they do offer some advantages. I did want to share another piece of this puzzle, which uh, something that Please. we've been running into is sometimes we go through the whole rigmarole of filing the appeal and getting the approval. And uh, the patient goes to get the new drug, get the, to get the drug that was just approved. And the pharmacist says, OK, that'll be six hundred dollars. The patient says, no, 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 my insurance company is paying for it. And the pharmacist says, Oh, yes, that's after insurance. The retail cost is $1,200. The insurance company is paying half of that. You have to pay the other half. Yeah. That's wonderful, but I still can't afford it. Yep. Uh, Yeah. That's what I had to deal with, uh, with that antibiotic. And actually now with the, uh, with the blood thinners I'm on, it's uh, I, I, it's a 20% copay. So I only, I only pay 20%, but that 20%, right now is still $400 a month. There you go. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's another wrinkle of that. Uh, I, I had to deal with a couple of patients at the time. And granted I was a I was a high school kid. So, you know, a lot of this, I didn't totally understand, but there were times where we had people who had the exact same kind of thing. And they were basically told, look, we've done all that we can. We're submitting that what we have to, and what we can, you have a pathway that you can submit your receipts to get part of that reimbursed so that you only end up paying 20% after you've put in your part with your receipts, even though it could have just as easily been, well, you know, yes, we're paying after half now to the, to the, uh, to the pharmacist, but if you submit the rest of it, it will only be 20% after the fact when all is said and done, which is yet again, as, um, uh, who was it? Stephanie over in the over in the live chat put it over there. That's it. Delay and delay and delay. And deny. And deny. And then when you send your appeal in, then they denied as a duplicate because we've already processed your claim. We denied it, but it's a duplicate. This is and that's this is something that's baffled my mind even with, with our medical system because all your doctor visits are covered, you know, most 
treatments per se are kind of covered, but you don't get any medication covered. So what's the point of going to the doctor for anything if you have no money to get drugs? Like I just, it, it boggles my mind. And some of the things that they don't, that they still don't cover that a lot of um, employers won't even cover are things like physiotherapy. Now I have right now, I've got a benign positional vertigo and yeah, it's not fun. Trust not, me. Not so, not so benign, right? No, not, not when you can't get out of bed. No. And so my nurse practitioner said, well, and, and, and I know we get criticism about this, but it's it was going to take about four months to get to a specialist. That's not because of our system. That's because we have a shortage of doctors, which is a, it's a whole other thing. It's not to do with the structure of the system. But it was going to take several months to get to specialists. But she said that there are some things that sometimes a physiotherapist can do about it. Why don't you do that? And I said, because physio is not covered one iota here. I was like, well, no, we can't afford that. So she said, well, I think this this physio clinic might take insurance, like, or or might be covered by we our medic. It's Ontario Health Insurance Program. We call it OHIP. Um, it might be covered. So she referred me and I got a call from them and we were setting up an appointment and uh, and then the receptionist said, okay, so the first session is $170. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and, and and she's like, well, yeah. She's, I said, well, my nurse practitioner said that, that you guys might be covered under OAP. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, well, then forget it because I they wanted 170 bucks for the first treatment no idea how many treatments it would take. And the next, I think it went down only to 120 thereafter. And I was like, no, I I'll, I'll just wait for the specialist. Thanks. And so, Oh, I get that appointment. I think I only have six weeks to wait now. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Tucker, go right ahead. I was going to say, you bring up a good point, which is uh, in many um, you know, specialties, my own included, is that, you know, after the initial couple of visits, the most expensive part of the treatment, of the ongoing treatment, becomes the medications, the, the pharmacy bills. Yes. And if that's not yeah. being covered, then, you know, it doesn't matter what else is covered. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if you if you can go and get a checkup, great. If they diagnose something that you need treatment for and the treatment's not covered, then what good does it do anybody to go to the doctor in the first place? I, I never understood that. Well, one thing that really gets me is how arbitrary some of the coverage decisions are. Mm. Like uh, there's a drug called Nulasta that you know patients undergoing chemotherapy will take if their white blood cell count gets too low. And a couple of years ago, it was $600 a month. The Ooh. price of that has gone up to $11,000 a month. And what? insurance companies have decided they no longer cover it. Now, if you're undergoing chemo and radiation therapy and you have to stop because your 
you know, blood counts are jacked up and you can't get that medication, what do you think happens if you have to skip two or three weeks of treatment because of your blood? You croak. Uh-huh. And Jesus that's, fuck. that's a thing. So, uh, yeah. Like, then... Most then, people can't afford $11,000 a month on drugs. But that, mm. And that doesn't even make sense from a business perspective because... Yes, it does. Why? No, it doesn't. Because if you're paying for other things up until that point and then you're just going to let that person die then you waste you've wasted what you did pay for in the first place but you're not paying out more and behind the one that Uh, dies are ten thousand more who are still willing to pay jesus and that's that's what i've noticed with just about anything again coming at it as an outsider mm -hmm. you want to quit go go ahead quit because I got 500 more people behind you who are willing to take the same $2 an hour job that you are far too indignant to take right now. So you're not, you're not hurting these employers because right now it's an employer's market. You know what? Hold on a second. Stop right here. Um, okay. Uh, normally speaking, we, we would keep, keep going, uh, through on, but, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a quick pause right about here. Uh, because this is going to end up being an extra long episode, uh, Dallin did warn me ahead of time that we needed to make sure that we had a natural pause at some point so that we can split up the podcast. So those of you that are listening to the podcast version right now, yes, this is where side A is going to take a pause. <laughs> and we're going to be coming back with the next edition whenever the hell it is that Dallin is able to get this out to you guys. Because... I'm about to take us down a different rabbit hole that um, I think the good doctor is really going to be disgusted with me for having even thought of. Uh Uh-oh. Trust me, (laughs) we've been down this rabbit hole before, and it really disgusts me, and I know full well it disgusts the rest of the panel. So those of you that are listening to the podcast version right now, we will catch you on the next episode, which will be coming to your feed momentarily. In the meantime, I wish you guys... The peace I no longer have. I wish you the strength that I've learned. I wish you well. And we'll see you in just a couple of moments.